We're honored to have with us again Fred Sanders, professor at Biola University, and has written uh, many, many uh, good books. Uh, two of them I've read from cover to cover, The Triune God and The Deep Things of God. Well, Fred, thanks for joining us today on our, on our podcast. Glad to have you here with us today. Yeah, it's good to be back, Gary. Is there anything, Fred, that you're like um, surprised by still? Because, I mean, you're still studying the Trinity. You're, you, you, know, you, you haven't said like, okay, I wrote my book. Now I'm on to some other subject. You're still studying the subject. Matter of fact, some of the other people I've been interviewing on the Trinity have, you know, I'll, I'll invite them to come on the show. And so they'll, they'll want to sort of watch a few episodes. And I had two, two different people say, you had Fred Sanders on your show? <laughs> Man, he's the he's the guy, go-to guy on the Trinity. So, so I'm honored to have you here. But so that begs the question to me then: Is are you still getting surprised by things? And if so, like, is there any? I'm not asking to be agnostic and say give me some new knowledge, but is there something new that you're kind of getting bowled over by uh, as you look more into the Trinity? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit um, last time I was on about the the particular character of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm, uh, I've really been drawn lately into trying to understand the way the spirit is, he's another, you know, that Jesus calls him another comforter. He used that key word, like, um, I'm, I'm one comforter and there is another comforter. So there's this personal distinction or you wouldn't use that word another. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet Jesus goes right on to say that when this other one comes, he will take of what is mine and show it to you. And all that I have is the father's. So again, it's in that thing like, okay, I'm trying to focus on the spirit, but as soon as I focus on the spirit, by the very words of Jesus, I'm drawn to the things that belong to Christ. The spirit will take of what is mine and show it to you. And then, you know, to, to, to around it out and what is mine is from the father. Yeah. Um, so does that sound to you like, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Well, I, I just, it, it's, it's, um, I guess the idea is that you're not getting the spirit is another person um, of the Godhead, but you're not getting like a whole new set of attributes or um, in some ways you're not changing the subject, right? Mm -hmm. Like through engaging the spirit, you're, um, you're engaging another person, but you're not changing the subject from the one salvation of God. Cause the spirit shows you what belongs to the son. Everything the son has is from the father. And so it's, it's back into the same material again, but mm -hmm. under the heading of the spirit. Yeah. When, when, when you talk like that, it, it like my mind, I want to just praise like, hey, Amen. that's beautiful. But, but the rational part of me start kicks in. It's like, okay. So there's another spirit or another comforter. I'm sorry. Another helper. Yeah. Another helper. And so is Jesus, they're saying I'm a helper, but there's another helper. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's built into the the phrase "another helper" means okay. like one, and then here comes the okay. other that I'm talking to you about. Mm -hmm. And then if you add on top of that, okay, I'm going away, Jesus says, and I'll send you. It, it sounds like you know an, an apartness of them, even though yeah. it sounds more like information is going to come back. I'll be up in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the throne, uh, and yet I'll be with you always. Uh, you know, and so. I yeah. Don't know, just, yeah. That, that's, that's the same dynamic. And <laughs> yeah. So here's here, especially um, if, if we start by thinking about the divine attributes, um, here's what I think is helpful. Any divine attribute or perfection um, that you name, 
belongs to what God is. Like this is what it is to be God is to be omnipresent, omnipotent, incomprehensible, um, you know, blessed, etc. Um, and that means since the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each God, then that attribute belongs to each of them. Right. And so um, this keeps you from some obvious blunders. Like um, you don't want to say, well, the father, he's the righteous one, uh, but the son, he's the merciful one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see how telling the, um, the story of the work of Christ, you might, you might be led down that road. Cause you might think, well, you know, Jesus comes in order to um, um, uh, carry out the, the plan of salvation and offer himself to God as a sacrifice for us. So there's a way in which they're kind of, within salvation history, playing the roles of upholding the standard of righteousness and applying the principle of mercy. But as soon as you make it a statement about God, you think, well, no, it doesn't make any sense to say the father is righteous, but the son has this other attribute. If they have different attributes, they're different things, but they're not different things. They're different persons, you know, who are the same thing, who are the same God, the same divine essence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once you, once you do that with enough attributes, you think, wait a minute, everything I want to say about any person of the Trinity is the same thing I want to say about all the other persons of the Trinity, right? The Father omnipotent, the Son omnipotent, the Spirit omnipotent, but there's only one omnipotent. Yeah. Right? Um, so you could do that for a while, kind of, and it's, of course, it's a great doctrine to work through the divine attributes, but you end up throwing them all into the bucket marked what there is one of in God. Right? So the holiness and the majesty and the purity and the power, all of that's in the one, the oneness of God. Yeah. yeah. And you end up with this sort of problem. It's a good problem to say, wait, turns out to be, turns out it's hard to distinguish the father from the son, because anything I say about the father, I must also say about the son. Mm. I just went through the whole list of like 25 or 32 or however many divine attributes there are, you know, there's no agreed upon number. Right. Uh, and they all apply to both equally and identically. Yeah. What you end up having to say then, this kind of pushes you to the next move, which is to say, the only way to tell the father and the son apart, since nothing on my list will tell them apart, is to tell them apart relationally. It's the father of the son and the son of the father. So mm-hmm. I can only pick one out by sort of naming the other one and describing how they are related. Yeah. And if they're all, uh, I'm probably saying this wrong, but they're all basically the same. They're different persons, but they're all basically the same other than their relationship with each other. Right. Then I don't understand why, um, you know, the spirit of Christ that was here and he says, you know, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why isn't that sufficient to baptize like, you know, or comfort or the, the role of the Holy Spirit? coming to do something different than the role that Jesus was doing. Uh, why not Jesus just stay and do, since he's all three or one anyway, uh, just let, let one of them do the father. You know, I think you said that in your deep things of God, uh, that's uh, when you talk about Nikki Cruz and you said, you know, he said, you know, why not just one God? I don't understand why there has to be three. If they're so simultaneously one, if their attributes are the same, would it would also be the same. Their functions are the same. Like is Jesus, you know, there's some there's some scriptures whether you're Pentecostal or not about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're saying that, are you saying being filled with the Father, being filled with Jesus, or are you are you saying something different? Yeah. So, 
you're saying something different at the level of, of um, God's actions toward us and our experience of God. Um, one way to put this is if you, if you tried to eliminate the personhood of the father and the distinct personhood of the spirit and just follow Jesus, right? Well, it's one thing to follow Jesus um, during the days of his flesh before the ascension, when he's, you know, literally going from Capernaum to Jerusalem and he's walking and you walk after him, right? That's a, that's a very literal following of Jesus. Um, how do you continue to follow and be a disciple of an ascended Lord who is at the right hand of the father and is not, um, you know, walking around the Holy land? Right. Uh, well, the, the answer to that question, like, let's say all you want to do, you don't want to get tricky or Trinitarian about this. You just want to follow Jesus. It turns out, as you read the Bible, uh, the Trinity is actually a, a really great account of how you can continue to follow Jesus as the ascended Lord. You can continue to be disciples of that ascended Lord because of the presence with us of the Holy Spirit sent by the Son from the Father, um, at, you know, at, at his right hand. Yeah. So as you're studying that, that's a good answer. I appreciate that. Um, as you're studying, as you're getting into... Uh, this vision of the, of the Holy Spirit, particularly, um, what, what, um, where, where's it taking you? What, 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 what are you learning? What are you, what are you seeing in, in, in that particular person of the, of the Trinity? Yeah. Um, there is a, a new covenant, um, intimacy with God. Um, that is, uh, what the, what the Bible talks about as the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? The experience of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, the, the spirit is all over the Old Testament, but um, not by name. Um, you know, there's the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord. Um, it's really, there's only twice in the Old Testament that the adjective holy goes in front of the noun spirit. Hmm. Um, it's like Isaiah um, 63 and Psalm 51. It's the only place uh, where that person who is described all over the Old Testament um, actually gets what clearly becomes his proper name of sorts in the New Testament, mm. right? Um, so by the time you get to the New Testament, um, the, the phrase Holy Spirit is common. It, it occurs over and over. Jesus uses it in the baptismal command, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit clearly functioning there as a kind of a name or special title to pick out that person. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a greater clarity in the new Testament. And, but it all has to do with the um, fulfillment of God's promises and the accomplishment of the work of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. On the basis of that finished work um, that Christ sends the Holy spirit um, to, yeah. to be with us. Wow. Does that take you at all into any, you know, a lot of times when people start looking at the Holy spirit, they, they're looking at maybe salvation, the role of the Holy spirit in salvation or, um, uh, sanctification or to, uh, does it at all bring you into any, you know, there's a lot of division in the church today about, you know, cessationism or, um, uh, you know, gifts, gifts continuing today. You know, normally when I think of the Holy spirit, I think of gifts, hmm. uh, which again, again, and all that you've been, uh, you know, your books and what you've been saying on this podcast, you know, I keep scratching my head. Cause like, like, Oh, should I be saying that or not? Uh, you know, cause like, uh, you know, uh, is it the Holy Spirit that you know distributes the gifts? Obviously, Scripture says that. But then, 
is well isn't the father just giving us gifts too and the mm -hmm. yeah and ephesians 4 the risen christ um ascends on high and gives gifts uh, yeah, yeah, for the building so, up of the church yeah so it shows that mutuality yeah uh, but my question though is i'm sorry i'm rambling here a little bit uh, my question is uh does, does does your study now take you into any issues as pentecostal charismatic uh, I think you said one time you grew up in a Pentecostal background. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I grew up in the Foursquare Church. Okay. And does that impact your theology at this point as you study the Holy Spirit? Um, it does. I mean, I, I hope I'm balanced. Yeah, Everyone likes to think they're balanced, I suppose. Um, the, the real, my heart for teaching about the Holy Spirit really has to do with emphasizing um, that this is not a, a different reality. It's, it's not... Um, there's a kind of subsequence teaching, which is like, oh, you just got the starter pack. Here's the real deal. It's all kinds of new information you've never heard before. And this will take your Christian life to a new level. It's yeah. that kind of um, facile distinction between non-spirit-filled Christians and spirit-filled Christians um, that has some downsides to it. Yeah. Whereas what I always want to emphasize is, well, Paul clearly says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. There's no way you can be born again without the Holy Spirit being the agent of your regeneration. Um, so I'm keen to emphasize that, right, that, that um, all Christians are in contact with the Holy Spirit, um, you know, by, by definition, mm -hmm. and that when you're in that contact with the Holy Spirit, what you're getting is not a strange new thing where we have to change the subject from what the Father did in the Son, but this is the way that we have living knowledge of what the father did in the son is by participation in the Holy spirit. So that's really home base for me and the, where my heart is on teaching on this. What I think I've gained from exposure to Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity, um, you know, over the course of my life is this really strong awareness that uh, most of us are allowing ourselves to live at a substandard level of Christian experience and that there is more, there is greater depth um, that we ought to answer the call to go on into. Yeah. So you immediately get into term fights, right? Should we call that the baptism of the spirit? Should we call that the filling of the spirit? How many, is it a second blessing, a third blessing, a ninth blessing? What is that? And so immediately there, there are terminological fights and those often have to be resolved by close Bible study of what does the phrase baptism in the spirit mean in this passage? Um, but what I think, what I think is of abiding value is that, um, on the more spirit-filled side of, of, you know, Christian groups, um, the, the emphasis they have on pressing on to get more, um, to, to get a, a deeper experience of, of God through the spirit. I think to, to kind of caricature this, um, my, my, my view of, you know, all Christians are in contact with the spirit can be briefly summarized as you got it all at salvation. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And the, the uh, responsible, charismatic response to that is to say something like, well, if you got it all at salvation, where is it? And why am I not seeing it? <laughs> right? And so trying to do justice to both of those so that you talk yeah. about a deeper experience of the spirit without denigrating the finished work of Christ. Right. Oh, that's, that's, that's a good, good insight. I wonder why we ask that question more of the Holy Spirit than we do the Father in a sense. It's like, I've never heard anybody say like, you know, like I had the father when I got saved, but I, I now want to be baptized in the father or I want more of the father. I mean, I, I certainly there's there's a hunger for the father's love or the, or the, the, the intimacy with Jesus. Uh, you know, all those things are present in the church. But it seems like when we get to the Holy Spirit, that's, that's where all of a sudden we, we draw these lines and these categories and these fences around our doctrine. And 
uh, you know, it's, but, but that's where I think your teaching on the Trinity kind of brings it back together. Well, if you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about the, the, you know, the Father and the Son as well. And so if, if you, you know, you're not going to, I think we talked about this last time on the podcast, you, you know, when you meet Christ, you don't get, or you get you know, salvation, you don't get two thirds of the Trinity. <laughs> right. later, on, you, you, later on, if you're a good boy, you can get, get the, the third element in, 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 in that. It uh, just doesn't, doesn't work that way at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm excited about teaching on the Holy Spirit and making sure that um, people know we are not changing the subject when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. This is going to be more of what you already know and deeper. Um, and in fact, I, I guess this is the thing that's really kind of dawning on me um, with a Trinitarian theology of the Holy Spirit um, as, I, as I study it more and teach more about it. It's that... Um, because the spirit in the eternal life of God is from the father and the son, um, right? That the, the son is eternally from the father, the doctrine of eternal generation, eternal begetting. Um, and the spirit is eternally from the father and the son. It's not that God is incomplete, um, you know, until the spirit or anything like that. Cause that's, this is not a story within mm-hmm. the being of God. Um, it's, it would be the same as saying like God is incomplete without the son. Like, well, sure. Yeah. But that's a weird way to put it, but there is something about articulating the reality of the Holy spirit where it's sort of the, it belongs to the spirits um, um, order within the Trinity to kind of bring a completeness or a fullness um, of the being of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that God is moving from incomplete to complete, but that when you're focusing on and articulating the procession of the spirit from the father of the son, you're really putting the whole thing together. Right. I think that's the eternal Trinitarian background of the kind of things you hear in Christian testimony, like in deep things of God, when Nikki Cruz says, I mean, before I just knew about God loving me so much, he sent Jesus. But then when I found out about the Holy spirit, that changed everything <laughs> Right. that, that really connected all the dots and kind of completed it and made me realize, Oh, without the spirit, I wouldn't even be understanding about the father sending the son. Yeah. That's a kind of a, and you know, Nikki Cruz wrote that at a point where he had relatively little theological instruction, right? He was like, this, this blew my mind when this dawned on me. And what I want to say is that kind of Christian understanding has a deep Trinitarian background. That the reason mm-hmm. everything made sense when you came to understand the Holy spirit is because within the being of God, uh, the procession of the spirit has kind of this, completeness to it right you you necessarily get all three in their unity when you come to focus on the procession of the spirit yeah and yet the procession of the spirit has a unique purpose in making that unity come together for us it's 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 a gift it's a benefit that yeah that we want to certainly drink all in that we can of, of father son and and Holy Spirit is. Yeah. If I, think, I, were to, um, I think people get this sort of, people get this kind of subliminally. I have been, there've been at least a dozen times I've been introduced as a guest speaker somewhere and I have announced that my topic will be the Trinity, but the pastor introducing me says he's going to speak to us about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think like, well, that's not what I said um, or vice versa. <laughs> I'll say, I'm going to come speak on the Holy Spirit. And the person introducing me will say, and now here's Dr. Sanders to talk about the Trinity. I think mm-hmm. well, there's something, you know, this Trinitarian theology of the Holy Spirit, I think, I think Christians get this at a kind of a subliminal level that these really uh, do go together. I love that. Yeah. It's just like without studying systematic theology or the doctrine of the Trinity, you read the you know, Bible, particularly the New Testament from, 
from Matthew to Revelation, you're going to come away with, uh, even if you don't know how to articulate a, 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 a Trinitarian theology, really, you're going to know that. My, my grandson, he's uh, he's five, and I picked him up this morning, and I said, uh, Brandon, you you are so precious. And he goes, Yeah, uh, I know, Pop Up. You think I'm precious, and Jesus thinks I'm precious, and God thinks I'm precious too. And I said, uh, Well, Brandon, what's the difference between God and Jesus? He goes. I don't know, you know, it's just like, uh, and, uh, uh, and I think it's just, you know, a lot of that stuff is, you know, caught just as you are experiencing the presence of God or the community of God, or the people, the people of God, mm-hmm. you, you know, you hear, you talk about being a guest speaker at churches, you know, you, you hear sermons and you go like, okay, I, you know, that's, he's talking about the father, but that's, you know, the son's like that too, or the, 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 the father and I are one as Jesus, Jesus taught, you know, and that's a, uh, that's a, uh, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm a little sidebar here. Uh, I've, I've been stealing some of your teaching and I, I was just a guest speaker somewhere. And, um, uh, you know, what you said, I, I think I might articulate it to a point you don't recognize it anymore. I don't know, but you, know, you, you talked about how God is after something, you know, so like he does his miracles. I think you even have a chart like, uh, you know, like it starts here, you know, Jesus touches the miracle, but he's after something else. He's asking a question of, of, uh, uh, who who is this man that can you know open up blind eyes and then it's like well the father and I are one he's at, he's after bringing us to that that trinitarian thing you know and I was thinking of that when I thought my grandson is like okay I can't bring him to that <laughs> that place right now of understanding the trinity but he's asking some questions now it's like okay uh, yeah. God thinks I'm precious okay well that's a start now from that we can say okay well you, you think God and Jesus both think you're precious who who are they together and Right. I think it'd be cool. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Like at five, six, seven years old, our 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 children are learning. Uh, yeah, this whole, this whole Trinity, rather than having to, you know, come at it later in life and be confused and see contradictions rather than joy, like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I have noticed that with little kids, especially in talking with them about about the New Testament, they'll they'll say something like, "And then when God was um, born at Christmas, and then <laughs> later they crucified God, and you know." <laughs> Um, you, you, the question is like strategically at what age level is it appropriate to help them sort of distinguish and pick those apart so that they can speak more precisely? Because in one sense, they didn't say anything wrong when they said God was crucified. You say, well, yes, Jesus was fully God and he was crucified. So, yeah. but there is that, um, you know, a te- the technique of Socratic questioning where you say, yeah. um, so who sent Jesus? God. Okay. So um, what kind of God sends God? Oh, I guess God, the father sends God, the son. And you mm-hmm. can tell that like, they're going to draw that out of something they already knew without knowing they knew it. Yeah. Right. Cause all you're adding is the distinctions. Um, and that's what that technique of Socratic questioning is often good for. Like, well, here's this part. How's it go with this other part you said? And then when you realize how the two go together, you realize, Oh, now I get the context within which these things make sense. Yeah. You know, in, in deep things, I tell the story about, um, um, as a little kid, I was looking up at the sky one night and watching clouds go in front of the moon. Mm-hmm. And I just began to get interested in whether any of the clouds would go behind the moon. And an older relative came out and just asked me a couple of Socratic questions, you know, like, where, where are the clouds? And I, I was a little kid, but I said, they're, they're up, in the, up in the air, up in our atmosphere. And he said, where's the moon? I said, oh, it's in space. It's the closest space object. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me like, oh, <laughs> clouds will never go behind the moon. That's not, that can't happen. And, and the, the interesting thing about that to me is, did I know that or did I not know that? 
when I was standing in the front yard watching to see if clouds would go behind the moon. It's like I knew it, but I didn't know I knew it. Yeah. And, and so often um, that's usually not dangerous, um, but you can see how it leads you to confusion. I, I thought I was confused about where the clouds were going. Yeah. In fact, I had all the information and understanding I needed. I just didn't have it kind of like drawn out and put together. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you're dealing with, with, you know, um, what's the difference between God and Jesus? Well, I don't know. Well, you kind of do know. And the right set of questions, I think, would draw out, you know, the father sent the son. Have you thought about what it entails that the father sent the son? Yeah. And the yeah. son is fully God. Yeah. And go around and around that a few times. You realize, oh, I guess there must be God, the father and God, the son. Yeah. It's funny. That, as you explain that, it's, it's uh, it can be simple for a child. And yet. Even here, we are now, years later, studying the same concept and getting more, uh, again, with the title of your book, Deep the, the Spirit Knows the Things of God, okay, period, comma, the things of God, a child can know the things of God, uh, then, yeah, even the deep things of God, okay, now, wait a minute, now we're, you know, through the Socratic method or other forms, we're, we're getting deeper into the things of God. One thing I would just say back to grandson is, um, it gets a little tougher with the Socratic method when, at the end of their prayer, you know, they, he thanks Jesus for loving him. And then he says, may the force be with you. That's, that's, that's where I kind of, okay, I, I'm not even going to touch that one. I'll just. Yeah. Yeah. So that's gotta pick your battles and wait for the right, <laughs> yeah. right moment of maturity. Yeah. I was going to ask you this. If you were to come uh, to, to my church and I said, hey, uh, would you teach uh, the next four Sundays on the Trinity and maybe with the capstone of uh, the Holy Spirit? Uh, where would your mind go? What, what things would you want to communicate to a local congregation uh, in, in a short amount of time like that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my life message is that the doctrine of the Trinity goes with the doctrine of salvation, right? So Trinity and gospel. Um, if, if I can find creative ways to help people associate the triunity of God with the gospel of salvation, that's the main thing. So um, um I, you know, through various techniques, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'll, I'll usually start um, with available materials, you know, that, that we agree on and know that we agree on as Christians. And I'll say, well, so, you know, you want to, let's think about being adopted as children of God and kind of start there by rehearsing some of the glories of the gospel and then saying, now behind that, what it means to say that we're adopted is that within God, there's a reality of fatherhood and sonship. And that for us as creatures, as fallen creatures, to be brought back into that is for us to um, be brought into a kind of a participation in the triune life of God. Yeah. And that you really, then, you know, then you kind of hear the things click where people think, oh, I thought adoption was a metaphor. You know, when God mm -hmm. forgives me, it's kind of like, you know, being brought into someone's family from outside. Mm -hmm. um, but in fact, it's a little deeper than a metaphor. It's, it's actually the biblical teaching is showing that there's a divine reality that is being made available to me at great cost. Yeah. Well, I, man, I wish you'd come to preach our church. That's, <laughs> I love that. That's, that's good news. The, um, if you were to, um, and don't answer this is too weird a question. Sometimes I think weird questions. Uh, of course, you probably got them all, you know, by your students already. There's probably nothing new under the sun for you. Yeah, there's almost no bad question about the Trinity. I did. Okay. Yeah. I can't say that um, completely because I was at a party one time where a guy asked me, he asked me what I taught. And I said, well, I teach about the Trinity. You know, next couple of questions in. And he said, um, didn't they see that? Didn't someone see that flying over New Mexico one time? 
<laughs> and I thought, wow, I, I think I've just heard the first bad question on the Trinity. I don't even know. Well, there goes my question. I was about to ask you. Yeah. Now I have to think of another question. I'm pretty sure the answer is no, but I'm not really sure I understand the question. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, that'd be interesting where you went with that conversation. Um, no, well, the guy, the guy was drunk, so I didn't dig in too deep okay, with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be better to talk to my five-year-old grandson than to him. Um, yeah. So, again, this may be a weird question, but uh, you stand before God one day. And you're in his presence and, and he says, Fred, you know, you really studied my Trinity for a pretty long time. You know, kudos. Anything you didn't know that you want to know, um, you know, any burning questions you could ask me like and I could reveal about the Trinity to you that sort of made you ponder, but without resolve. Uh, does your mind go anywhere with uh, anything like that or is that too weird a question? I mean, I. It's, it's hard to picture me having very academic or intellectual questions, you know, in that, in that kind of setting. <laughs> I, I suppose if I could calm down enough, I would, I would have a lot of questions about particular Bible verses. Like, okay, okay. what did you mean by that? Because here's what I think you meant by that, you know, because good, good Bible study, good Bible interpretation is, it sounds cocky, but it really is trying to know what God meant by what God said. And they're yeah. just, you know, when you get into really, the Bible's clear. The clarity of scripture is a, um, uh, that's a true doctrine, you know, worth defending. But one of the things that's clear in scripture is that some things are not clear in scripture, right? Yeah. Uh, as Peter says, Paul says some things that are hard to understand. Like, okay, that's a clear statement of scripture that Paul says some things that are hard to understand. Yeah. So I have, I've been in Ephesians uh, pretty intensely for several months now. And there are just some passages that I, I would love to have a Bible study mm. with God you know, ask him, could you paraphrase that? Like, what, what, what are you getting at there? Yeah, yeah, that, that would be, that'd be sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to those kind of conversations. Yeah. I mean, I do think the, the, the most mysterious point in the doctrine of the Trinity is you can distinguish between the Father and the Son relationally, right? Father of the Son, Son of the Father. Those are not reversible. It's not like they take turns being father to one another, like the father is the father of the son. So that's a relational distinction. Um, you can't, though, distinguish between one of those persons, the father, um, and the divine essence. Like I can say, here's the difference between the father and the son. The father uh, begat the son. But I can't say, here's the difference between the father and the oneness of God, right, or the divine holiness, yeah. I can't say like the father begat the divine holiness. That would make it the son. That would be an obvious mistake. Um, yeah. So it turns out that when I focus on that part of it, like tell me the difference between this person of the Trinity and what it is to be God. All I can do is assert like, well, you know, within God, there's who and there's what. And, mm. and that's the father is a who and God you know, stated that way, the deity, the Godhead, the divine essence is a what? But that's mm -hmm. sort of just an analytic distinction, right? It's a, it's a, it's a conceptual difference that I say in order to be able to focus in different ways. Yeah. It's not like I can go to heaven and say, over here's the father and over there's the divine essence, right? You, right. Like you, you never get that kind of a distinction. Yeah. Is, is there uh I don't, I don't want to change subjects too drastically here, but you know, uh, the hypostatic union in the sense of uh, it, it was the son as being sent is the only one of the Trinity that was fully man and fully God. So is there, 
any distinction beyond him being begotten of the father in the fact that, um, cause we don't say the father was fully divine, fully human or this, or the spirit so is, is, is there some distinction in that at all? Um, yeah. So in one sense, the question, tell me the difference between the father and the son is one of the easiest questions in the world. Cause you say, well, the son's in, the son became incarnate and the father did mm-hmm. not. So there, now I know the difference. It's when you go back and ask the why question behind that, like why, um, why is it the son who became incarnate rather than the father? Um, there's sort of a halfway step you can take. Athanasius of Alexandria in the fourth century, his first answer to that is, well, the father created the world through the son. And so it makes sense that the father would recreate the world through the son, right? Mm-hmm. That, the, that the redemption and renewal of the world would happen through the one through whom the father originally made all things. Right. Um, and so that's a, that's a great answer. It's a very important answer. But even there, you could say, yeah, but why? Right. It's the same question. Why did the father make all things through the son and not vice versa? Yeah. Um, and when you go back one more step beyond that, you do get to eternal generation. Uh-huh. And here's the thing. You've got you've started with salvation. You went back through creation and you got back to something that's before and bigger than both creation and salvation that's where you are with the doctrine of eternal generation. Like there is in the eternal being of God, a relation between the father and the son that we call generation or, or um, begetting uh, it's eternal. It, and, um, and it would have been true even if there were no redemption or no creation, if mm-hmm. all there were was just God, you know, we've, we've taken our step back to like definition of God or within the being of God or by necessity, in God's nature, the Father and the Son are in this relation. Mm. Yeah, man, that's that's intriguing. It was really as inspiring as well. It's a it's, it's good stuff. I, Fred, I always enjoy talking with you because I think you you bring something to the table that is fresh and uh, vital to our faith. And um, it, um, is, are the classes that you teach. Um, is there any access to that for people that aren't enrolled in your school? Like if somebody wanted to sort of, uh, what do you, I forgot the name of it. There's, uh, it's been so long since I've been moved from college where you want to sit in the class, but you don't actually get credit for it. Oh yeah. Aud- auditors. Auditing. Audit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there um, a fine auditing of any of the things that you teach? I, I've, I've seen you on a lot of uh, interviews, but uh, you know, and you've spoken to chapel a number of times. Uh, but I mean, I'd love to be exposed to more of your teaching as there, other than your writings, is there a way to go about that? Um, there's, there's, I mean, I have several videos online, um, and I'm, you know, in the process of building out my YouTube page so that there's a, it's, it's more kind of centralized. Um, but my, yeah, my main work for 21 years is, um, I'm a tutor in the Tory Honors College and, um, it's a great books program. So we read Mm -hmm. classic texts, um. And a lot of a lot of theological texts and a lot of the Bible, and we uh, talk about them in small groups um, in Socratic discussion. So, so for a living, most of what I do is assign a great book and ask students questions about it. Um, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, um, and the students are from every different major. So this is a kind of a general education. I don't just work with Bible students. I'm working with, you know, nurses and filmmakers and and. Um, students in all these different uh, majors. Um, And that's mostly not shareable. That's mostly such a community event that 
if you film it, it's not worth watching, but if you participate in it, um, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing kind of transformative encounter with the great books. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to put a camera in there, it might change the whole dynamic. Of the group. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. in a therapy group or something or AA meeting with the camera is not quite going to, going to work. Yeah. So, um, and last question for you, um, besides your books, um, and, uh, you know, maybe there's some classics, uh, Athanasius and um, uh, Augustine on the Trinity. Uh, besides those two uh, and your books, what, what would you recommend people to read if they want to learn more about what you've been talking about to us over these past few episodes of the podcast? Yeah. Um, let's see. Currently in print and readable, um, Scott Swain's book, The Trinity uh, from Crossway, came out, I think, last year. Um, it's in the short studies and systematic theology series. Yeah. So um, that's good. And it's probably just about a hundred pages. Um, really helpful little book. Um, Michael Reeves book. Um, what is that book called? Delighting in the Trinity um, is a good, good introduction. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are both solid. You mentioned yeah. the classics, things like Athanasius or um, Gregory Nazianzus's um, on God and Christ, the five theological orations. And then this sounds like a trick answer or sort of like what you're supposed to say, um, you know, because it's pious and spiritual to say it. But um, I really am always motivated to get people enough extra instruction that they are equipped to go back to the Bible and see for themselves the Trinity in Scripture, because that's where the real that's where the real blessing is. You know, even if you know the Bible pretty well, if, if, if I could teach on the Trinity in such a way that I sort of open your eyes to what's there. Um, and then just say, okay, I think now you've read Athanasius, you've read Gregory Nazianzus, you read my book or Scott's book. Now go read the Gospel of John. Just like, just read straight through it. I promise there's stuff you've missed there. Yeah. Even if you've read it really well and you're a mature Christian, if I can just hyper, if I can make you a little bit hyper aware of the Trinitarian dynamics going on in scripture, yeah. like check out John, check out Ephesians, read, read um, you know, First John or even Romans again. Um, and yeah. it's sort of like if you, um, an analogy I use is, let's say you, you walk to work through a little um, wooded area and you see it every day, twice a day, you see the same set of woods. Um, but then one day you get to walk through it with a trained naturalist who explains to you like, well, have you noticed that these things grow in connection with those things? Like this bush is always under that kind of tree. It's because they've got a symbiotic relationship. There's stuff going on in the in the nutrients in the soil and there's stuff going on because of, you know, how the sun hits this because of that ridge over there. It just lays it all out for you in such a way you go, wow, I have walked through this, this woods twice a day, every day for decades, but I have mm -hmm. not known those things. And it's one thing that could just be an informative, you know, experience, but if it equips you to see the woods differently every day from then on, and you can make your own discoveries, right? Like, Oh, here's a bush that that expert didn't point out to me. But now based on what I know, I actually have extra information about this. I can make my own discoveries now based on that. That's always my goal, if, you know, to give people enough systematic theological instruction to send them back to the Bible to see for themselves what is there with new eyes. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm so thrilled. Um, so yeah, so read uh, The Deep Things of God, read in God, and as Fred is just saying right now, read your Bible, read, read uh, Ephesians and Romans and all these passages of uh, great things. Because yeah, going going back after, you know, these these things can um, 
uh, my father, who's a pastor as well, he, uh, before he passed away, he, he called he called these type of things uh, get, getting sparks from people. You know, yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the fire, the fire's up to you, but you know, you can get some of the older books you can get some sparks from, and then uh, the fire comes from the scripture though. And that's, that's good news. Thank you again for your time today. It yeah. was, uh, it's great to see you again, Gary. Yeah. I'd love to have you come back again, if you could, I'd love to make this a regular thing. We'd be honored. To, That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> love talking with uh, you. Thank you, sir. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.